I believe what I hold in my hand is the only physical source of absolute truth on this planet. And you sang a song, He's a Good Father. How'd you know that? How'd you know He was a good father? There's a source of truth that reveals His person, His past, His present, His future. If it were not for this, you'd have no idea about the Father, whether He's good or bad. You wouldn't know anything. Inside this book are 66 individual books. One of those books is the book of Acts. The book of Acts reveals what the church acts like, or what it's supposed to act like. The book of Acts is labeled Acts by the Acts of the Apostles, which in essence is the birth of the church. We've been talking about the supernatural birth of the church and the power of the church over the past few weeks. We've seen the power of God demonstrated through these simple believers. And I, I want you to understand something. These are simple people. These are ordinary people, and yet God's changing the world. He's turning Jerusalem upside down by simple people. Do you think they had any trouble? Do you think that in this rapidly growing movement called the church, do you think they had any troubles, any dissension, any quarrels, any infighting among this group of people? That's how chapter 6 opens. Real people. Yeah, I said real people on a supernatural mission. I hope that describes us in this room. Real people on a supernatural mission of God. It's called the church. What do you think happens when the church experiences rapid growth like they are in Jerusalem? What do you think is going to happen? Is there going to be any trouble? Is there going to be any dissension? Is there going to be any infighting in the midst of rapid growth? Acts chapter 6, verse 1. But as the believers rapidly multiplied. Now, I haven't said this in a few weeks, but let me say it now. If you're a visitor today, or maybe you've just forgotten, on the back of the bulletin, every scripture I plan to use, I list. So I want you to be able to study what I studied. And on that, you'll see these yellow words, highlighted, underlined words, and those are the blanks on the back of the bulletin. But as the believers rapidly multiplied, there were rumblings of discontent. Uh-oh. The Greek-speaking believers complained about the Hebrew-speaking believers, saying that their widows were being discriminated against in the daily distribution of food. Rumblings of discontent. Surely not. I can't even imagine a church that would have rumblings of discontent. Really? It's real. Now, sometimes that's a good thing. Sometimes that motivates change, and sometimes it motivates necessary change. But sometimes it's a bad thing. Sometimes it pushes us to grow and improve, and sometimes it's just whining. Whining. This time, Acts chapter 6, it's legitimate. Some people were being left out. It's a problem. 
These rumblings of discontent highlighted a problem that needed to be addressed. It doesn't need to be ignored. It doesn't need to be covered up. They need to deal with this. There's some people being left out. What's about to happen in chapter 6 is going to be the foundation of future church organizational structures. You're about to see it. Verse 2. So the twelve, now who are these? These are the apostles. So the twelve called a meeting of all the believers. And they said, we apostles should spend our time teaching the word of God, not running a food program. So, brothers, select seven men who are well respected and are full of the spirit and wisdom. We will give them this responsibility. What? There needs to be a food program that's managed. We will give them this responsibility. Then we apostles can spend our time in prayer and teaching the word. Now I need to tell you that most people will tell you that this was the origin of the church deacons. Even though it does not use that word in Acts chapter 6. That word's not in here. I can tell you that this event does clarify two distinct and necessary roles of church leadership. The twelve apostles called the believers together to clarify these roles, to clarify their role. Then they described the role of the elder. Some people use the word bishop. Some people use the word overseer. It's all the same position. And it, how does he say? We should spend our time teaching the Word of God and in prayer. Now, maybe you do, maybe you don't know. This church has five elders. We have five elders. We call them elders. We don't call them bishops. We don't call them overseers. We call them elders. We have five. Bart Sayre, Lee Moore, Rusty Rubel, Corey Robinson, and myself. There's five. They have announced in this meeting that they don't want to ignore the need for the church its needs. There's somebody being left out. So you can't ignore the need. There is a need for a church-sponsored food program in that setting. But they said, but we shouldn't be running it. The elders shouldn't be running a food program. We should be overseeing it, but we should not be running it. The twelve asked the church to select these servants from among them. But notice the qualifications of the seven. They said, pick seven men from among you. Notice the qualifications. One, well-respected. Two, full of the Holy Spirit. Three, wisdom. The apostles, representing what we would today refer to as the elders in the church, will sanction them and give them this assignment to meet the needs of the growing church. Seven men working underneath the 12 apostles in that role of the eldership. The 12 apostles are forming a type of church government or an organizational structure for the future church around the world. We, as a church, pattern our organization after the book of Acts. 
It is clear that the apostle Peter considered himself an elder. Did you know that? It's clear that Peter considered himself entitled as an elder, a fellow elder in the church of Jesus Christ. I want to point that out to you. In 1 Peter chapter 5, verse 1, Peter writes this, And now, a word to you who are elders in the churches. I too am an elder, Peter says, and a witness to the sufferings of Christ. And I too will share in his glory when he is revealed to the whole world. As a fellow elder, here it is again, as a fellow elder, I appeal to you, care for the flock that God has entrusted to you. Watch over that flock willingly, not grudgingly, not for what you will get out of it, but because you are eager to serve God. Don't lord it over the people assigned to your care, but lead them by your own good example. And when the great shepherd appears, not if, he says, but when the great shepherd appears, you, elders, will receive a crown of never-ending glory and honor. In the same way, you younger men must accept the authority of the elders. And all of you, all of you, elders, younger men, all of you, serve each other in humility. For God opposes the proud, but he favors the humble. Let me make something clear today. Both groups, elders, younger people, all of you, we're servants. That's what we're, we're servants. Both groups are servants, but they serve God in different capacities. One group serves the spiritual needs of the church, and there's another group that serves the physical needs of the church. One has oversight responsibility, the other has administrative responsibility. However, the overseers, the elders, must always be the ones that are focused on the spiritual first, not the physical. They all must be respected. They all, did you notice there's no difference in that part? They all must be respected. They all must be full of the Holy Spirit. They all must have wisdom, but the task will be different, and the focus will be different. Next verse, verse 5. Everyone liked this idea. That in itself strange to me in a church that everyone likes a particular idea. Everyone likes this idea, and they chose the following. Stephen, a man full of faith in the Holy Spirit, Philip, Prochorus, Nicanor, Timon, Parmenas, and Nicholas of Antioch, an earlier convert to the Jewish faith, these seven men were presented to the apostles, and what did they do? They prayed for them, and they laid their hands on them. And when it says they laid their hands on them, it's not what your daddy did to you when you were a kid. It's different. They're laying their hands on them to pass on to them the blessing that has been given to them by God. They actually physically laid hands on them and prayed over them. Chosen by demonstrated ability. Did you hear me? It's important. Chosen by demonstrated ability. They were already servants. They didn't become servants because they were chosen. Uh-uh. Bad idea. 
they were already servants. They had already demonstrated the ability to serve. The apostles prayed over them, commissioned them to meet the physical needs of the growing church in Jerusalem. The need was identified. The need was addressed by the leaders so they can move on. You've got you to identify the problems and deal with the problems so you can move on. What? With the mission. You've got to get back to the mission. The physical things of the church can distract from the mission of the church. Next verse, verse 7. So God's message, back to the mission. God's message continued to spread. The number of believers greatly increased in Jerusalem. And many of the Jewish priests, now you want to see some significance? Many of the Jewish priests were converted to Christ. Jewish priests. Don't miss the main thing. Church today, don't miss the main thing. The church must keep the main thing the main thing. God's message continued to spread. The word. What is the main thing? Can I tell you what the church in America is struggling with today? The main thing. I'm holding up the main thing. I came up here today, the first words out of my mouth, I believe what I hold in my hand is the only physical source of absolute truth on this planet. The message is the main thing. The gospel is inside of this. You will never know God apart from this book. The message began, continued to spread. The externally focused church must not become internally focused. Do you know what that means? You know what one of the biggest dangers of a growing church is? It's when an externally focused church, focused on the main thing, preach the gospel, preach the word, teach the word, proclaim the word, live out loud the word. That's external focus. That is sending out the word. But you know what happens when a church grows? By nature, we become internally focused. We start looking in. Instead of looking out. And the main thing is no longer the main thing. And the church begins to lose its power. We don't know much about five of these seven men. Anybody notice that? We don't know much about five of these men chosen. But we will get quite a view of two of them in the book of Acts. Stephen and Philip. This is where today's story gets interesting, at least to me. One of the seven chosen to serve tables will become a preacher. How much later? I don't know. It doesn't say. One of the seven chosen to wait tables, to serve tables, to administer a food program is going to become a preacher. Actually, two of the seven. Interesting. Actually, two out of the seven are recorded to become preachers. Be careful when you start waiting tables in the church. Can I look at you and say, be careful when you start rolling out the tables and putting the chairs under the tables and, and serving in there or serving somewhere. Be careful. You might end up being one of these preachers. Notice the next scene revealed in the book of Acts. Next verse, verse 8. Stephen. A man full of God's grace and power performed amazing miracles and signs among the people. I thought he was running a food program. 
How much time has lapsed? I don't know. He's doing amazing miracles and signs among the people. But one day, some men from the synagogue of freed slaves, as it was called, started to debate Stephen. Some religious topic, I'm sure. They were Jews from Cyrene, Alexandria, Cilicia, and the province of Asia. So these these Jews have come to Jerusalem from all over the, the known world, and they're getting into a debate with a guy who's been assigned the task to run a food program. But none of them could stand against the wisdom and the spirit with which Stephen spoke. Hold on a minute. I thought Stephen was waiting tables. Anybody see where I'm going today? I thought Stephen was waiting tables. I thought he was administering a food program so that the elders could focus on prayer and teaching the word. Well, that's where he started. Here comes the big point. Where you begin with God will not determine where you finish. I'm going to say it again. Where you begin with God will not determine where you finish. The beginning does not dictate the end. Or let me say this, it shouldn't. It should not. One thing is clear, Stephen grew out of his original job. Full of God's grace, power, amazing miracles. Looks like he's preaching while he waits tables to me. At least to some degree, he's doing both. So let me give you an example. Let's, let's pause on the story, and let me give you an example. Uh, a lot of people in this area, Lawrenceburg, work for the state. Do you work for the state? Can I suggest something here? See, I think that actually, if you work for the state, you're actually a Jesus witness, cleverly disguised as a state employee. Don't tell the governor that. But in reality, what you're called to be is a Jesus witness cleverly disguised as a state employee. You work for Toyota? You're a Jesus witness cleverly disguised as a Toyota worker. You see, all of us must understand that the main thing is the main thing in the church. And the church is not the building that we assemble in. The church is us individually and is us corporately. And the main thing is the main thing. What? Externally focused. Preach the word. I thought he was waiting tables. Preach the word. Tell somebody the good news. Well, I work for Toyota. They don't allow that. I work for the state. They don't allow that. I work for this place. They don't allow that. They weren't allowing this either. And yet the word spread across the whole earth. And somebody told you. Somebody sometime told you. We're witnesses, right? Wherever we work, wherever we live, we're witnesses, right? Here's the first word today. Church, it's time to grow up. It's time to grow up. Our witness grows as we grow in the knowledge of God's word and the power of the Holy Spirit. Our witness 
grows as we grow in the understanding of this word. What's Stephen, who was assigned to wait tables, what's he doing? He is debating the intellectual Jews of that region. Uh, debating them about what? This book. About Jesus. Is he the Messiah? Some people never grow up. Never grow out of the first place where they met Christ. Listen carefully. Some people never grow up. Where they met Jesus is where they are at 10 years later, 20 years later. They never grow up in their faith. Never. I remember when we had our first child, Chad, the guy who was singing here earlier. I remember when we had Chad, that was our first child, and Janet and I, there was kind of this fun competition which word he would say first, whether it would be mama or dada. Some of y'all been there. Of course, I'm thinking, well, he should say dada first. Janet's thinking, no, I, it should be mama first. By the way, Chad turned 32 yesterday. It's been a long time since he said that to me. I remember how excited I was the first time when, when this little baby looks at me and says, Dad, Dad. I don't know why, but you understand there's something about the development phase of a child when it comes to speech, and they can look at you and know your name and say your name. Uh, my youngest grandchild right now, Ryder, I've been working with him because the word's bigger now. It's Granddad D. A little harder. But, believe it or not, listen, I had him in my house one day, and he was in the recliner with me, and I just kept saying it. Granddad D, Granddad D, Granddad D. I was breaking it down like that, and he looked up at me, and he said, Granddad D. I said, yeah. <laughs> so now when I'm with him somewhere, I'll poke him in the chest. I poke him and say, Granddad D. And he looks at me like, I don't know you. <laughs> he won't do it in public. But I got to tell you something. Listen, I would not be happy. I would not be happy when I got up here to the church today. I saw Chad up in the office area, and he looked at me and said, Dad, Dad. I wouldn't, I wouldn't find, I used to find pleasure when he was calling me Dad, Dad. I, I don't anymore. You know why? I hope he's grown beyond that. I hope he's developed beyond dada. My hope as his father is that he will grow up. My hope as his father is that he's going to grow up. That was, I was happy with that at a time. I'm not happy with that anymore. Church, it's time to grow up. Stephen and Philip grew up. They outgrew their original assignment. Now Stephen is debating the religious Jews from around the world. Do you think the unholy spirit of Satan is going to let Stephen go on a post? <laughs> Do you think the unholy spirit is going to say, wow, Stephen is pretty impressive? Next verse, verse 11. <clears throat> He's debating these Jews who do not believe Jesus is Messiah. So they persuaded some men to lie. Where's that coming from? The unholy spirit. So they persuaded some men to lie about Stephen saying, we heard him blaspheme Moses and even God. This roused the people, the elders, and the teachers of the religious law 
So what they do? They arrested Stephen and brought him before the Jewish high council. The lying witnesses said, this man is always speaking against the holy temple and against the law of Moses. We have heard him say that this Jesus of Nazareth will destroy the temple and change the customs Moses has handed down to us. Satan is a liar, and he's a recruiter of liars, and he trains liars to be liars, and he trains them how to be good at it. I wonder if Stephen at this particular point, right after he's been arrested, wishes he was still waiting tables. When you grow spiritually, you become a greater threat to the adversary. Did you hear me? I'm going to be up front. When you grow spiritually, you just keep the whole da-da thing going on and you're not much threat to the spirit of darkness. But when you grow spiritually, something happens. You become noticeable by the adversary. I think Satan hates. I'm, I'm using the word carefully. I think Satan hates spiritual leaders. I think Satan hates, in this church, he hates Bart Sayre. He hates Rusty Rubel. He hates Lee Moore. He hates Corey Robinson. He hates me. I want you to understand, there is a powerful darkness that hates spiritual leadership. So you might think, well, why do I want to go past Dada knowing that? Because he loses. He doesn't win. He loses. That's why. Satan hates Jesus. And Satan hates Jesus' followers. And Satan will use unbelievers to carry out his work. This is when God turns darkness into light. This is when the story gets interesting. It's when God, in the middle of Satan's hatred and his liars that he's recruited to lie about Stephen, this is when God turns evil into good. Run, devil, run, devil, run, devil, run. They arrested Stephen, and God is going to use this moment to reveal his glory. Next verse, 15. At this point, what, what? They've just arrested Stephen and they've just told all these lies against him. At this point, everyone in the high council stared at Stephen because something happened supernatural. His face became as bright as an angel's face. Now, I'm going to ask you a question. If you're in a, the arresting officer, would this be a good time to take off the handcuffs? If you're the guy in charge, you've just brought Stephen in, handcuffed. Maybe now that his face looks like an angel, you might ought to back up. Those in the darkness don't see the light. Interesting to me, listen. The Bible says that Stephen's face began to glow, like angelic glow. But those in the dark don't see the light. You see, that's the whole problem anyway. They don't see the light. If they saw the light, they wouldn't be in the darkness. They'd move out. Chapter 7 opens with Stephen on trial. 
God's going to use this light to shine into the darkness. Remember, as I read this, Stephen's glowing. He's glowing. God's going to use this table waiter turned preacher into the Holy Spirit-filled messenger to these Jewish leaders. One of the longest single sermons recorded in Scripture belongs to this table waiter named Stephen. Did you hear me? One of the longest single sermons recorded in the Bible is Stephen's. It fills up chapter 7 of the book of Acts. Stephen's going to start with Abraham and use Jewish history to explain and reveal Jesus as Messiah. I do not have time to read all of it to you today, so I'm going to pull out some of the main points of Stephen's message while he's on trial. Stephen begins with God's calling of Abraham in Mesopotamia. The Jews, listen, he's debating the Jews. He's before the high council. So Stephen does what? He starts at the beginning. God called our ancestor Abraham out of Mesopotamia. And you know what? Not a Jew in the room has a problem with that part. Uh uh Amen. Amen, Stephen. Stephen then talks about Joseph in Egypt. Uh Uh Amen, Stephen. No problems, right? He's brought up Abraham. He's brought up Joseph. Stephen then talks about Moses leading, leaving, uh, leading Israel out of Egypt 400 years later. And they what? Uh-huh. Mm-hmm. Preach it. Preach it, Stephen. He's mentioned the superheroes, Abraham, Moses, Joseph. Then Stephen drops a hint. Everybody listen. Stephen drops a hint. I don't think they got it, but I'm going to tell you, reading it, I get it. Next verse, verse 37. Moses himself told the people of Israel, God will raise up for you a prophet like me. See, I don't think they're getting it, but he's saying it. Moses prophesied that one day there's going to be a prophet like him from among the Jewish people, from among our own people. Moses was with our ancestors the assembly of God's people in the wilderness, when the angel spoke to him at Mount Sinai. And there Moses received, and there Moses received, and there Moses received life-giving words to pass on to us. But our ancestors, what's Moses got to give Israel? Life-giving words. But our ancestors refused to listen to Moses, they rejected him and wanted to go back to Egypt. They rejected the life-giving words. And what are those words? God's going to raise up one like me from among our own people, and you must listen, listen to him or you will forever be cut off. But they wouldn't listen. These Jews revered Abraham. They revered Moses, but the truth is the people wouldn't listen to Moses And they wanted to go back to Egyptian slavery. Stephen reveals their Jewish ancestors were actually rejecting the deliverer. And Moses was just a preview. He's just a shadow of the ultimate deliverer that's coming. Stephen then reveals the tabernacle in the wilderness and all the way up to King David and Solomon and the Jerusalem temple. And you know what? They're all like, "Uh uh-huh, uh-huh, preach it, preach it, Stephen. Amen, Stephen. And then 
Listen, listen. Stephen drops the hammer. He drops the rock. The rock that makes people stumble, Stephen brings into the conversation. He draws them into the light of truth. Verse 51. You stubborn people. You are heathen at heart. You know what the word heathen means? Godless. You are heathen at heart and you are deaf. You cannot hear the truth. Must you forever resist the Holy Spirit? That's what your ancestors did and so do you. Name one prophet your ancestors didn't persecute. They even killed the ones who predicted the coming of the righteous one, the Messiah whom you betrayed, whom you murdered. You deliberately disobeyed God's law, even though you received it from the hands of angels. And he was doing so well up to that point. They would probably have hired him as their preacher if he'd have just stopped before he got to that old Jesus part. The table waiter turned preachers telling the truth. Everybody listen. The table waiter turned preachers telling the people the truth, and it's going to cost him something. Sometimes telling the truth is going to cost you something. You see, there's an inclination then, and there's an inclination now to hold off on the truth for fear that it might offend the audience, for fear that it might cost you something. That's the problem with speaking out in your job, in your workplace. What? You're afraid it might offend somebody. You're afraid it might cost you something. Do you think Stephen didn't have that cross in his mind? He's in handcuffs. Shouldn't we just leave that part out? So far, they like his preaching. And then he brings up the truth. But what is the truth? Let me rephrase it. What's the truth worth? What's the value of the truth? What happens without the truth? Jesus told us that only the truth would set us free. Right? Only the truth will set you free. In fact, Jesus says only the truth will set you free. And then Jesus says only he is the truth. So if Stephen doesn't bring up Jesus, then nobody will be free. You see, without the truth, these Jerusalem Jews are still slaves in Egypt. Oh, they're living in Jerusalem, but they're still slaves in Egypt. Because Egypt is a picture of sin and bondage. Without the truth, listen, I'm going to hold it up. Without the truth, every one of us are slaves in Egypt. We're in bondage to sin. We're in bondage to death. Unless somebody speaks the truth. The truth is God sent a deliverer to take us to the promised land. For us, the truth is God sent a deliverer to take us to the promised land. And if you reject this truth, you have chosen to remain a slave. And you will die a slave. You will die in your sins. You will die in your sins a slave to sin, a slave to death, and a slave to the master. Satan. Some people don't want the truth. 
Some people can't handle the truth. Let me prove it to you. Next verse, 54. The Jewish leaders were infuriated by Stephen's accusation. What did Stephen do? He told the truth. I think he offended them. I don't think they wanted to hear the truth. They're infuriated by Stephen's accusation. And they shook their fist at him in rage. But what about the one telling the truth? When you read this, your inclination, my inclination is to think about the audience who's shaking their fist. But I, I want you to quit looking at the audience shaking their fist. And I want you to look at the guy who's got the glowing face. I want you to think about the guy with the face that looks like an angel. What's he doing? What's he doing? In the midst of this meltdown of rage, I must tell you before I read it, sometimes, sometimes when I read this, when I'm by myself, I weep. Sometimes when I read this, I weep. I weep for the church that has refused to grow in Christ. And I weep for those people who refuse the truth. They know the truth, but they were un they're unwilling to live under the authority of truth. Verse 55. They're shaking their fist at rage, right? But Stephen, full of the Holy Spirit, gazed steadily into heaven, and he saw the glory of God. And he saw Jesus standing in the place of honor at God's right hand. And he told them, look, look, nobody's seen it but him. But he thinks maybe everybody can see what he's saying. Look, look, look. I see heaven open. I see the Son of Man standing in the place of honor at God's right hand. Can't you see? Can't you see it? Can't you see what I see? You don't see it. Everybody listen. Nobody, nobody loved that Jewish high council that day like Stephen did. Did you hear me? They hate him. They hate him. They hate him. They want him dead. And yet nobody loved, nobody ever loved them like Stephen loved them. You know what he did? He loved them enough to tell them the truth. He loved them enough to tell them how to escape death. That's love. Stephen was willing to give up his own life to get these Jews out of Egypt. Out of the slavery of sin and death. How does anybody love like that? Then, now, come on. How does anybody put themselves in such a dangerous place that even I would risk my own life to tell you how to save your life? Next verse, or verse 55. Let me repeat verse 55. But Stephen, full of the Holy Spirit, gazed steadily into heaven and he saw the glory of God. And he saw something. He saw Jesus standing in the place of honor at God's right hand. And that's how you do it. Full of the Holy Spirit is to be full of Jesus and full of Jesus is to be full of love. To love enough to tell the truth. Church, to love enough to tell the truth. Every one of you has in your possession the cure to death, and everyone around you is dying. Every one of you has in your possession the cure to death, and everyone around you is dying. 
Every one of you has in your possession the cure to death. And everyone around you is dying. What are you going to do? Well, they don't let me talk about that. But they're dying. What is the truth? We're all from Egypt. We're all going to die in our sins without Jesus. Jesus and Jesus alone forgives us of sin. Jesus is our deliverer. Jesus is our Moses. Jesus came to take us to the promised land. And how much is that worth? What's the value of that truth? Is it worth your life? Is, is it worth your life? Is this truth worth your life? It will be. Let me put it another way. This truth is your life. This truth is your life. Next verse, 55. But Stephen, full of the Holy Spirit, gazed steadily into heaven, saw the glory of God, and he saw Jesus standing at the place of honor at God's right hand. And he told them, look, I see heaven opened and the Son of Man standing in the place of honor at God's right hand. Then, he put, then they put their hands over their ears and they began shouting. They rushed at him, dragged him out of the city and began to stone him. His accusers took off their coats and laid them at the feet of a young man named Saul. As they stoned him, Stephen prayed, Lord Jesus. He can see heaven open. Lord Jesus, receive my spirit. He fell to his knees shouting, Lord, don't charge them with this sin. And with that, he died. This table waiter turned preacher became the first recorded modern, the first recorded martyr in the church age. But he's not the last, is he? Nope. What's the value of the truth? To current church, I'm going to ask you a question. What's the value of the truth? What's it worth to you? They put their hands over their ears when Stephen told them the truth. Sometimes that's going to happen. I get it. Sometimes I talk to people about Jesus and they put their hands over their ears. They don't want any part of it. Sometimes they shake their fist at me. They don't want any part of that or me. Sometimes I bring it up and they hate me. I get it. I get it. I don't like it. But I'm asking you, what's the value of truth? So here's the question. Here's where we're going. So does that mean we stop preaching? Does that mean we stop sharing this, this book? What about when they start to oppose us? What about when they put their hands over their ears? What, what about when they shake their fist? What about when they throw you in jail? What about when they put you on trial? What are you going to do? What are you going to do? Church, what are you going to do? I'm trying to prepare you so that when this opposition occurs, you've already decided what you're going to do. Don't decide in the moment. You'll choose poorly. What are you going to do? You going to quit? You going to shut up and sit down? If so, I'm glad you're not a farmer. I'm, I'm glad you're not a farmer because you know what? You know what farmers do? They sow seeds. And there's not a farmer, I was raised on a farm, there's not a farmer in history that sowed every seed believing that every seed was going to come up. 
Every seed's not going to come up. But does that mean we quit sowing seeds? No, we still sow seeds. Because guess what? Some of them going to come up. Sometimes it's a good year. Sometimes it's a bad year. But you know what? You keep sowing seeds. Jesus says, Jesus says that the seed is the Word of God. And some of it's going to fall in bad places. And it's going to be trampled on. And some of it's going to be eaten up by, by birds. And some of it's going to be, it'll come up for a little while and then it'll die. But some of it's going to produce a harvest. A hundred times more than was sown. We sow seeds. Why? Because, listen, listen. Because some will grow. It's not up to you which ones will grow. Church, listen. This is something I struggled with early in ministry. It is not up to Terry Cooper to determine which ones are going to grow. It's up to me to sow seeds. It is not your responsibility to figure out which one grows. You keep sowing seeds. You sow the seeds in love. Church, it's time to grow up. I'm talking to everybody in the room today. You think this is going to matter? I'm going to tell you it's going to matter. It's time to grow up. Somebody told you the truth. I look around the room today and I'm convinced of one thing. Somebody told you the truth. The truth didn't just fall out of the sky one day and hit you. Somebody told you the truth. Somebody loved you enough to tell you the truth. I don't know how much it cost them. I don't know how much it cost them to come and tell you the truth. Maybe a lot, maybe a little, I don't know. Many have sacrificed much to spread the truth of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Many have given their lives over the past 2,000 years to carry out this message of truth. And I don't know how much time there was between Stephen's table waiting and the sermon between the Jew Jewish high council that got him stoned to death. But I can tell you this. Stephen did not end his race anywhere near the place where he began his race. Somebody say amen. He did not end his race where he began his race. You know why? He grew up. And some of you sitting in this room, if you'll be honest with yourself, you're sitting very close to the same place you were when you met this man named Jesus. You haven't moved. You haven't moved. Some of you have. Some of you have not. Stephen grew up. When I read, I don't know what you get out of this, but I'm going to tell you what I get out of this. Stephen grew up. He did not end where he started. He was full of the Holy Spirit. And I can tell you by reading his sermon today, he knew the Scriptures. You know where it begins? I've read this chapter. He knew the scriptures. He knew what was in this book. I'm asking, do you? This past week, how much time were you in there? How much have you memorized? This past month, how much are you, how much are you involved in this? It's so easy to come up here. I believe that what I hold in my hands is the only physical source of absolute truth on this planet. But if you believed it, I'll tell you what, you'd be writing this on your heart. And once you write it on your heart, you've got something to give somebody. You've got the seeds to sow. You got them. You got the seeds because the seeds are the word. And you're the seed sowers. Church, it's time to grow up. 
What's the value of knowing what's in here? I know the future. It prepares me for what's coming. Your life declares the answer to what's the value of this book. Dad, dad. Dad, dad. That's where my children met me. In their conversational life, they met me at dad, dad. How foolish would that sound today? If Michael comes out on stage in a minute, picks up that bass guitar, knowing Michael, he'll do it. He looks over at me and says, Dad, Dad, how foolish. You see, when you met your father, you were a baby. When you met your father, you were a baby. Are you still a baby? Are you still a baby? Well, you preacher, you know what? I don't have time for that book. You don't have time for God? You don't have time for your father? This has always been a real battle inside the church. Not waiting tables. Uh-uh-uh-uh. Growing up. In 1 Corinthians chapter 3, here's what Paul says to the church. You think this is new? You think this sermon material is new? Dear brothers and sisters, when I was with you, Paul's talking to the church at Corinth. Brothers and sisters, when I was with you, I couldn't talk to you as I would spiritual people. I had to talk to you as though you belonged to this world or as though you were infants in the Christian life. I had to feed you milk, babies. I had to feed you milk, not solid food. Because you weren't ready for anything stronger and you still aren't ready. You think this is new? For you're still controlled by your sinful nature. You know what your sinful nature tells you? You don't have time to learn this book. Your sinful nature says you do not have time to study this book. And to allow the power of this book to transform you and to sow seeds in your heart so that you'll have seeds sow in somebody else's heart. Your sinful nature says you're too busy. And I'm going to tell you, if you're too busy to study this book, you're too busy. You need to cut something out of your life. And this isn't it. The grown-up and mature church is powerful. The grown-up and mature church is powerful. Satan can't stop grown. You know what? Because when he pulls that lie business inside a church that knows this book, it doesn't work. But when he pulls that lie business inside a church that doesn't know this book, they follow him into the darkness. The church that is mature is powerful. The church of babies is weak. I love you enough today to tell you the truth. Some of you might, right now might be wanting to shake your fist at me. I love you enough to tell you the truth, and this is the truth. There are some of you in this room today, it's time to grow up. You need to grow up so you can tell someone else the truth. You need to accept the responsibility that disciples of Jesus Christ are designed to
to make more disciples. Every disciple has been called to make a disciple. That's how the whole church thing was supposed to work. That he put inside of you that which you then can put inside somebody else. The word comes into me so that I might multiply by sending it out to somebody else. Stephen didn't say that day. You know what he did say? Verse 59 and 60, I'll close. As they stoned him, Stephen prayed, Lord Jesus, receive my spirit. He fell to his knees shouting, Lord, don't charge them with this sin. And with that he died. He's not afraid. When I read this, he's not afraid. He's dying and he's not afraid. What's that worth? What's that worth? To be dying and not be afraid. What is the value of knowing that you'll see God and all your sins have been forgiven? What's the value of telling someone in Egypt how to get to the promised land? There was trouble in the church in Acts chapter 6 and the elders called seven men to grow up and take on some positions of service. Two of these men, I'm not sure about the others, never stopped growing. Never. So I'll ask everybody a question. Have you stopped growing? Have you learned enough? Have you experienced enough? Have you grown enough? Are you finished? I'll ask Chad to come out. Are you finished? I'm looking at you. Some of you think, well, you know what? I'm, I'm. He didn't call Abraham until he was 75. So if you're in the room today and you're sitting back all comfortable with your gray hair and you think you're done, are you finished? Do you know enough? Have you learned enough? Have you grown enough? Yeah, I'm done. We're not done. Christians don't retire until we stop breathing. We got a message. We got a calling. We got a Holy Spirit. So we're going to sing a song. And it's a song of decision. Because I think today some people need to make some decisions. Let's stand. Walking.